two readings of Scripture for us this morning. The first from the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. Now Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. Listen, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? One of the best lines in the whole Bible for any parent who's ever raised, sorry, ever raised a teenager. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and with all people. This is the reading of the word of God and God's people did say, Would it be okay if just for a few minutes I, I told you a little bit about my mother? Would that be okay? I don't know what I'd do if you said no. Um, but how many, how many of you have a mother or had a mother? Raise your hand. So, <laughs> so, so we all have that in common, right? We all, we all have mothers. Now, when it comes to my mom and, and my dad, they didn't always agree on the outcome or the goal of their parenting, where we would end up with things. I think for my father, and to some degree, his goal is that someday when I grew up, I would leave the home forever. <laughs> you know, I, I think that became more true as I became a teenager. He was, you know, on the day that I left home, you know, maybe he got his friends together, had a barbecue. I don't know. But for my mother, it, it was different. My mother would have been happy, happy, if I never left home. If I would have lived with her forever. And I want to tell you about the hardest moment for me in my history ever. One of the, one of the hardest moments ever for me in the history of me being a human being on this planet. 
It was a day that I loaded my little Mazda pickup truck and put everything I owned in the back of it and left Fort Worth, Texas to go to Nashville to go to graduate school. And when I drove off in that truck that day, I knew that I would probably never live in Fort Worth, Texas ever again. Now, I was, I was really excited about the future. I could see the future, what God had in mind for me, where I was, I was excited about all that. But it was tempered by what happened the moment before I got in the truck and drove off. I'll never forget the hug that my mother gave me. She hugged me like she'd hugged me all her life, but the hug was, was an unforgettable hug. And I'll never forget as I drove off from my home and drove out of the driveway, looking in the rear view mirror and seeing my dad there going, And my mom, I'm, my mom, with the tears just rolling down her cheeks. You see, for my mom, being a mom was the most important thing in the world for her. She'd been a mom all her whole life, more than she'd actually been alive. She was a young mother, and all she ever wanted to be a mom was a mom. She had jobs, but her job was just being a mom, and she was, no matter what happened... She was never going to be the day ready for the day when I left home forever. I told Teresa just a few weeks ago, I said, isn't it wonderful our son is gone? I, you know, I, I meant it in a positive way. But I mean, I mean isn't it wonderful that he's gone? We, we've had a successful launch at this point, we think. Um, you know, he's gone off to school. He only calls when he needs money. So it means he calls a lot. But he's relatively independent. He's happy. We, we, you know, we've helped him find a way to be an adult. You know, we're not, he's, he's doing life on his own, and we have confidence. You know, I said, isn't it great? And she goes, no, it's not. I don't want, no, don't talk about it. And she just started to cry. You see, now that I have launched two children of my own, my wife and I, I have a deeper appreciation for my parents. Because though I, you know, because though I felt sad the day I left, I never truly understood what it felt like to have a child leave home and to know what that was like. And now I really understand that part of the sacrifice of being a parent is not just being a parent, but it's ultimately knowing that you're going to lose your job. That someday they're going to leave. And my mother never wanted me to leave home, but listen, my mom, my mom was not willing to, to have me stay home did not stop me from living my dreams. And I have such great appreciation for my mom and her love for me that my mom was willing to let go of me and to let me go on and live my life, even though at the same time it was absolutely breaking her heart to let me go. That is just love. Beautiful love. You see, the goal of parenting, of any kind of parenting, is that someday we'll lose our job. And when it's, your whole life has been committed to doing that job, it's really, really hard. Were you paying attention when I read that scripture from the Gospel of John? Uh, it's an unusual scripture to read on Mother's Day, but I, I like it because it says in the scripture that on the day that a woman gives birth to her children, gives birth to a child, the anguish that she feels at childbirth is replaced with joy and she forgets the pain after the child is delivered. That was obviously not written by a woman. 
Only a man would write something like that or say something like that. Because the whole process of giving birth is not just something that happens in a moment, but giving birth to something beautiful and amazing is something that takes a whole lifetime. When you're raising children, it's always, it's, it's joyful, it's a joy, it's joy and labor, it's anguish and sorrow, it's all those things. And you know, for my mom, this is true, I'm sure for many of you, my mom says, no matter how old you are, David, Paul, Emery, I will always be your... And my mom, it does not matter what I do, I may disappoint her, but she's always going to love me. And I tell you, my mom, she has ESP. She knows when something's bothering me, but I don't tell her. My mom never forgets anything. She knows when my dentist appointments are. Sorry, I was micromanaged as a kid. And my mom is forgiving. You know, where I grew up, where I grew up in Texas, when everybody says, when somebody says, watch this, it usually means somebody's going to the hospital. You know, so one time, you know, the TV repairman's over at the house, and I have a stopper gun, and my mom says, don't point the stopper gun at the TV repairman. I was about nine or 10. I said, don't worry, this, this, the, the safety's on. I learned you can't trust the safety on a stopper gun. I pulled the trigger, said, watch this, and shot the man right between his eyes. And you know, I just have a gray mom. I really, and I say all this because I know people really struggle with Mother's Day. Don't, don't they, we struggle with it. Some people, may not have had the best relationship with their mom. Some of us maybe wanted to be a mom, but weren't able to be a mom. Some of us have lost our moms. And for some of us, we know that Mother's Day is a work day. Because we know that there are a lot of men in the room, and I'm going to bust you out right now, a lot of the men in the room, the only reason that your mother got a Mother's Day card is because your wife bought it for him and put it on the counter for you to sign. Ask my wife. I don't want to mute the celebration because sometimes we're so timid on Mother's Day to be so sensitive to the feelings that we fail to acknowledge that there are a lot of just amazing people in this room every Sunday who serve and give and give away their life. And I don't want to mute the celebration and just say to the moms that are here, you're amazing. You do a great job. We learned about love for you. We learned about forgiveness. And so for every mom in the room, I don't want to mute the celebration for fear of hurting someone's feelings. I just want to say to you, it's it's awesome who you are and what you do for us, and we're just grateful for you, the way you show up. And there's a lot of moms in the room who became the mom that they wanted, but maybe they didn't have. Anybody okay with that? <laughs> because our parents shape us. You know, maybe Mother's Day is not written in the Bible. Maybe it's a Hallmark holiday. But the truth is, if you read the Bible, who is the primary vehicle for teaching faith? It's our parents. Now think about this, Mary and Joseph. How would you like to be Mary and Joseph? Okay, God's going to do something big in the world, and I have, picked you, I have picked you, Mary and Joseph, to give birth to the Son of God, and you're going to equip him, raise him, and teach him. Now you think you have a hard job as a parent. Imagine that job assignment. And then here's the great thing. The only story in the Bible about Jesus being a teenager is this story. And we like to think that Jesus was never a teenager. That maybe he just skipped from being a baby to being the son of God who taught and did all the miracles and stuff. But he was a teenager. I mean, isn't it hard to think of Jesus as like leaving all the peanut butter and jelly on the knife and sticking it to the counter for you to clean up? 
I mean, don't you have a hard time just imagining that Jesus got in trouble with his mom because he ruined the knees in his pants for playing soccer, you know, after synagogue? Or, you know, can you imagine Joseph saying, look, I don't mind if you borrow my carpentry tools, but just put them back where you got them. Or, you know, Mary and Joseph think that Jesus has gone to bed. I mean, he was a teenager, right? He had to be. He was a human being. Imagine Mary and Joseph thinking that Jesus has gone to bed for the night. They get a call, phone call from the Nazareth police station. Hey, we've got Jesus down at the station. He was hanging out with his friends. We caught him TPing the cheerleader's house. He was a normal, normal kid. Look at the story. Take the halo off the story for a minute. I think because we put a halo in the story, we don't understand the value of the story. They go to Jerusalem and they lose him. To get an idea about what that would be like, Passover was a busy time. That would be like going to thunder over Louisville, getting all the way home and realize you left your 12-year-old behind. It then takes three days to find him. Can you imagine the conversations going on for three days? It's hard, not hard to also imagine how they could do it. You know, you ever have a kid wander off? Ever had that sinking feeling the kid runs off? And by the way, I thought you had him. I thought you had him. You know how many times Corey's been up here left waiting for kids or Miriam because both parents thought they were on their way, but they were off doing something else? It just happens. Being a parent's like that. And then they find him after three days, and you think Jesus would be somewhat sensitive. We read the holy into it, but he was a smart aleck savior of the world. They go up, we're so, why did you do this to us? And what does he say? He doesn't go, oh, mom, I'm so sorry. I hurt your feelings. I wasn't thinking of you. I just wandered off. I had God things to do. And he says, where else did you expect to find me? You wasted three days looking in all the wrong spots. You the boss of me? <laughs> and, then, and then, and then, in the, I love this. It says that then after that, <laughs> then after that, he obeyed his parents. What did they do to him? I mean, how do you ground Jesus? I'm, I'm, so, I'm so hard, Jesus. You can't turn any fish and loaves into miracles for a couple weeks. Hold off on the miracles for two or three weeks. You're, you're grounded to your room. You know, you know no, no more turning water into wine, all that kind of stuff. I know you can't turn water into your wine until you're 21. <laughs> Why is this story in the Bible? It's in the Bible because it reminds us that being a parent is a holy and awesome responsibility and that being a parent isn't an easy thing to do. And that through ups and downs of all this, somehow I know that all, it all works out because God is present in the midst of all of it. And I love it that you look at the story. They were very human parents, but they ended up with a really, really great kid. And it says at the end of the scripture that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with people. Many he grew intellectually, he grew spiritually. He became a person who was liked and loved and appreciated. What a great goal. And what that tells us is, is that we all have this incredible responsibility as parents, a gift. And as a church, whether you have kids or not, it's our responsibility. And it's our responsibility as adults to produce children who grow up to become healthy, loving, capable, contributing adults to the world. As opposed to takers who are entitled and who look out for themselves. To produce healthy, loving, great people. It's the greatest gift that our church gives to the world. We produce kids that grow and love God and love neighbor. And you know as well as I do that one of the most important ways to do that is you just got, they got to know that you love them no matter what. You love them unconditionally. That's a given. 
But here's the thing that I sometimes think that we forget is we sometimes forget that the goal, the best way to prepare your kids for the future is to think about the future. We got to think long term. Because right in the middle of parenting sometimes, we get all mixed up and, and we just think of the now. But you got to think of that what will make your child or your young person happy when they're 25, 35, and 40 is not the same thing that's going to make them happy when they're 5, 10, and 15. And if you just try to make them happy when they're 5, 10, and 15, they may not be happy adults. Because we can't be their best friends. We have to say no. We have to teach values. We have to establish limits. And it's got to be a combination of love and boundaries and responsibilities and all those kinds of things. And there's, these, there's all these studies, and, and I want to be really careful because not everybody is this way, but there's a whole generation of people, uh, according to some studies I've read recently, who reach college and some, some, some colleges where the deans call them the freshman teacups because they're so fragile they break easily under pressure. And that there's a large number of people in their 20s and 30s who are very depressed. And the reason for that is, is because, and it's strange because their whole life everything was always done for them. They had magical childhoods and never experienced disappointment. But the reason they're having trouble as adults is because their parents became helicopter parents who hovered over them, overparented them, and protected them from adversity, pain, and suffering, became their personal concierge. Anytime they got in trouble in school, they went down and demanded that the teacher was wrong. Teacher changed the grade. Coach put this, player, put this person in and took care of all their problems. They were never allowed to struggle. My, my point is, if you want to prepare your kids for life, you got to let them fall down. you got to let them get hurt. you got to let them have adversity. Because adversity... And, and, and hardship and struggle is what teaches kids how to survive in the real world. What's going to happen when our children grow up and get found themselves in a competitive environment and we're not there to fight for them? What happens when they experience personal disappointment and they have to dig out of their own resources? What happens on the job when they are not meeting expectations? We can't go and talk to their boss for them or go in and ask for their raise. And so part of life is not preparing the road for them, but preparing them for the road. It's not so much what we teach them, is how we teach them to respond and to live in the world. And that is such a fine line. It's such a fine line. You know, I don't want to turn parenting into a strategic plan. You know, we got to think 20 years in the future, and, and you miss the whole thing. It's just a, the whole thing, you know, the crayon on the walls. It's a wonderful, it's a joy. Enjoy it. Enjoy every bit of it. It's, it's up and down and wonderful, every bit of it. But it's a fine line between wanting to protect our kids and shield them, but also to let them fail and suffer. A fine line by, for teaching them to get on the game and to give your best. And if you're not puking at the end of the game, you didn't try hard enough. That's sort of the Emory way. And, and, and at the same time, learning how to fail graciously, how to handle disappointment. Let me tell you a story about my own father and my mother. I had a really horrible job. My dad's, my dad's purpose in life was to give me terrible jobs. And they were awful jobs. And not everybody gets the opportunity to go to college the way maybe that I did. But I got to go to college, but only because we had to work so hard to get me there, and then I had to work hard to stay there, and I had to work these horrible jobs during the summer, and I had this horrible job at this milk plant, and uh, I hated every bit of it. 
But I will tell you, I appreciated so much because I had to learn how to work hard. I had to learn, I appreciated the things that I had because I had to work so hard to get them and to receive them. And I wouldn't, tra- I wouldn't trade being the milkman's son for being the son of the plant owner for anything in the world. And I'll never forget this one moment in the plant. We were having a milk war, not advisable, against the rules. I was inside the cold storage vault, and we were throwing gallon jugs, pints, quarts at each other. And I hit a guy in the side of the face with about a 90-mile-an-hour half pint. He didn't like it. Charged me, charged me, and hit me as hard in the face as I've ever been hit in my life. Went to the hospital, got stitches, went home, and my parents said very little about it other than, why were you throwing milk in the vault? The next day, my dad didn't go down there, nor my mom, and straighten things out with my boss or talk to the guy that punched me in the face. I was left to figure that out for myself. That was a pretty rough day for me. But I'm so grateful for my parents that they understood that fine line between, and sometimes they got it right and sometimes they didn't. You see, our purpose as parents is not, is to shape the character, to shape the character of the people. It's not what they do that matters as much as who they become to shape their character. And how does that happen? By experiencing hardship, failure, adversity, overcoming obstacles, learning resilience. And what's the fruit of all that? The fruit of our labor, speak of labor, is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, let me end by saying this. This is a caution. If I was a teenager in this room, I'd be pretty unhappy with me at the moment. And uh, I also want to point out to you one thing about the story that Corey pointed out to me. I want you to notice that the people in the temple were listening to Jesus. And we need to listen to our teenagers too. We have a lot to learn from them about faith and opportunity and where God is at work and we as adults don't get everything right. So it's all about understanding. And so in the midst of all this, it's just this beautiful, life is this beautiful thing. You know, it's not just this, it's this beautiful thing. We get to be a part of families and grow and love and somehow or another, it just all works. So let me just say to all your parents and teenagers, just grace to you. Just love and grace to you. Love and grace to you. And if everything goes okay, then we'll be, we'll be the ones standing in the driveway and they'll look in the rearview mirror, tears rolling down our face. Isn't it awesome that God gives, this is the way that God grows people.